Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Vance Havner. He was born in 1901 in Jugtown, North Carolina. Through his ministries, Dr. Havner maintained a love for the quiet and simple ways of his more rural past. He was truly gifted with the ability to phrase a thought in such a way as to drive home a point with absolute effectiveness. Today, Vance Havner presents a sermon on the Supreme Experience. part of an autobiographical chapter out of Paul's life in 2 Corinthians 12. He tells us of a very strange experience that he had and some of the developments concerning it. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which it is uh, not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, <clears throat> the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore... I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. This has provoked a lot of discussion through the years about what happened and what it all means. Within a few verses, you notice that he goes from height all the way to depth, relates something that happened 14 years past, went to the third heaven, and from that vision he descends into the valley, and uh, he was afflicted with a thorn, lest he get too proud of bragging about this remarkable experience, sought deliverance, which was not granted. God didn't give him subtraction. God gave him addition. Gave him more grace, but didn't take away the thorn. Paul could heal other people, but wasn't healed himself, which is another very strange development here. And he rises to glory in God's strength, made perfect in weakness. And in, when that happens, why well, neither height nor depth nor any other dimension matters. 
It ought to settle forever what is the Christian's greatest experience. Well, it's not a trip to the third heaven, whatever that may mean for us. What did he hear? I don't know. Well, he didn't know. If he couldn't tell about it, how do you expect me to tell you? Was it of the body or the spirit? He didn't know. And where he is there to have him, I don't know. All of that's beside the point. It was a supernatural experience. Let's let it go with that. Today we like visions and raptures and sensational experiences. From childhood we're always trying to get into some kind of a third heaven. When I was a small boy, I read that companion to Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. Oh, that was an interesting thing. And she got through on the other side of the looking glass, and I actually climbed up on an old dresser in our house and wondered if there's anywhere in the world I could get on the other side of that looking glass, see what kind of a world it was over there. Kids are like that. Some years ago in the papers, very incidental little incident, but I haven't forgotten it, a little kid, Dickie Bonham, took a notion he wanted to fly. He'd been listening to some of these characters on TV flying around, and he got hold of a sheet somewhere and wrapped it around him, jumped out the window. He died, ultimately. And in the hospital, the little fellow said, I almost did fly. And I said, that's typical of a lot of folks who want to do something that can't be done. And the theater goer today, if they find a decent one even to go to, which is becoming increasingly rare, is looking sometimes for an escape from reality. And if he can get in that place in another kind of world, it helps, he thinks, a little. Get out of this one. The poet, when he writes poetry, is trying to find in the beauty of it an escape. All trying to get to some kind of a third heaven. They do it on drug trips. And uh, then on the better side of that, uh, Disney World is, and I love to go there, because you get a kind of an escape from reality in a world of fantasy. It's very beautiful, very interesting. But in all these many other ways, we try to escape the uh, humdrum monotony of things as they are in the daily living. Uh, God has granted to his children once in a while, in certain cases, rare and rich experiences like Paul. I don't doubt them, not all of them. Some accounts I think are reliable and others get bigger every time they tell them. And you have to take not only a grain but a tablespoonful of salt with some of them. Visions that turn into nightmares, it seems to me. But... uh, Uh, It's dangerous going in for that sort of business. Somebody has said that our spiritual experiences can be impoverished by too many spiritual experiences. And that's well said. And if it hadn't been, there wouldn't have been any, if there hadn't been the third heaven, he wouldn't have had that thorn in the flesh. Because he was getting proud about that thing, and I imagine getting to where he had developed up quite a story about wanting to relate it. So the Lord brought him down a few pegs on that matter, lest he be exalted above measure. So we have to watch these things. It's, uh, it's, uh, it wouldn't do for some of us to visit the third heaven. Uh, we'd get out posters and have it done in technicolor and go around all over the country advertising my trip to third heaven. And uh, 
Uh, well, today the, uh, we're hearing this strange development of folks going to heaven, dying, going to heaven, and they come back. They don't really die, and they tell us what they saw over there. One or two's going to the other place and come back. I've not visited either place. Can't give you any information tonight about it. Uh, I, I Maybe they did. I don't know. God forbid that I should pass judgment on it, but... I find myself praying often this prayer that I never hear many people sing it. Look at it. I don't often ask folks to open up the hymn book in the middle of the sermon, but number 91, if we're not going to sing it. I just want to call attention to two verses. And this is the way you feel sometimes about this. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Verse 2, I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. Ah, now whoever wrote that was talking business. And then the fourth line, teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear, to check the rising doubt, the rebel side, and teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. You ever had any of that? That, that man's telling the truth. Uh, have you ever bothered about that prayer that you didn't get any answer to? Wondered what in the world happened? Well, uh, George Crowley's been along a long, wonderful road somewhere, I tell you. And I like the honesty and the absolute sincerity of that dear man, what he says here. Trips to the third heaven are tricky. And he wasn't seeking any of that. He wanted something better than that. Some uh, reality about why my prayer wasn't answered and so on. That's all right. Uh, well, it, uh, the, the main experience of a Christian is not even the other extreme that Paul went to. Not a, he didn't get, of course, a mighty deliverance. Paul sought a deliverance from that thorn in the flesh. And he didn't get it. Now, I mentioned to you here already how in Hebrews 11, half of that crowd marched over all obstacles, the heroes of faith. The other half, were some of them even sown asunder. And so it, it works both ways. We don't all have the same kind. But they all obtained good report through faith. The Hebrew children said we're going to be true to God, whether we're delivered or whether we're not delivered. And uh, uh, you have both experience. Some have one kind, some the other. But although deliverance was not given Paul, he was enabled to out-travel and out-preach and out any man of all time in the fashion that he did it. And I call that pretty special, after all. Well, then if, if going the highest that you can go and sinking the lowest you can go, if that's not it, what is it? Well, it's a sort of a halfway station in there that covers both directions. He discovered what he already knew and didn't know, that all he needed was in Jesus Christ. He already had it, but the factual became actual. And that is the great need among us today. Not what we have, but what we know we have, because we've proven it. Uh, I've read of a dirt farmer who had a poor little old farm until one day that all was discovered underneath. And he had it all the time, didn't know what he had, but he was too old and his son came along and Knew what he had and went after it. Now, we've got a lot of saints that live a whole life right over the riches of God and never come into the possession. Others find out what they've got in Christ Jesus and they start digging for it. 
going after it, and they'll not be disappointed. They, they, they knew and they did something. How long are you slack? We're asked over in Joshua to take this land. The promised land was theirs. It wasn't theirs. <laughs> Did I tell you about that little church I heard of somewhere else? I'll not tell you what kind of a church it was, but poor Job's turkey, and they found oil underneath. They announced a business meeting. Everybody that ever had been a member of that church wanted to be a member of that church gathered. You never saw such a crowd for the business meeting, but they hung a sign out in front, we're not taking in any more members. This is a closed corporation. <laughs> well, we don't want to make a closed corporation out of it if we strike oil for the good Lord. We want to share it. How long are you slack? All things are ours in Christ. But what we appreciate must be appropriated. I think of that I walking down the street by the uh, sweet shop and saw a wonderful cake in the window. Pressed his nose up against the window pane looked at it. That was appreciation next day was invited out to dinner where they had that very cake on the table that was appropriation that day. makes a lot of difference there are three levels of christian experience the marvelous maybe you've had a marvelous experience it gets out of the realm of the ordinary they're rare but sometimes they do and then the monotonous that wear you down the old plateau of the ordinary one day just like the next it takes more of the grace of god to live through that it does any other kind of living. And then there are the mysterious things. And they, I mean by that when things just don't add up. Things happen to you don't make sense. Uh, they grieve you and sometimes you weep about it at night. And nobody knows about it but you. And uh, Making the pillow wet with tears. Why, Lord? Why did this happen to, ha happen to me? Why did this happen in my family? Why has this thing hit me, this ailment, and the doctor looks so serious now when he tells me what's the matter with me? Well, Paul had all three in the sense that he had the marvelous and he had the monotonous, a lot of it, sitting around in jail waiting for only God knew what would come next. And then the, the mysterious, when things happened to him, he couldn't figure out. He wanted that thorn removed and God wouldn't do it. I don't know how much of either you've had, but they that wait on the Lord shall manage all three. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll fly, and they'll run, and not be weary, and walk, and not faint. You know, when the first Model T's and Model A's came out, the old Fords, my, my, what a thing that was. Just had two gears, you know, high and low. And the high didn't get very high, and the low was mighty low. And then they brought in an intermediate. And I said, now that's more like Christian living because we've got three gears in the Christian experience and you've got them here in the Bible. So have you found something in the Lord that uh, you can fly high sometimes and then you can run? And that's another kind of jogging that we ought to learn. They're not, uh, you heard of that fellow dropped dead the other day jogging home from a health food store? Well, this is a better kind. Run and not be weary. Whoa. And not faint. I like the NIV new translation. Uh, there will be enough strength. It says, uh, your strength will be equal to your days. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. But it took a thorn in the flesh to bring Paul around to realize that the main thing was not the great experience that very few people had ever had so he could tell it with a certain pride 
And he said, I glory in my infirmity. And as I've said here already, he didn't glorify the infirmity. We're not supposed to do that. He gloried in it because he recognized it was the uh, messenger of the devil. As Jesus said, this woman whom Satan hath bound, Satan shall cast some of you into prison. And uh, when he walked along by Lazarus' grave, he was angry, groaned, snorting like a horse, H.T. Robertson says. The Greek really says that because he was angry with what the devil has done in this world and the heartache and the misery that he's caused. And he did, but he's going to destroy the works of the devil one of these days. But in the meantime, there was a holy indignation at what the devil is causing. And uh, God permits Satan to tempt he let him tempt Job. And uh, all the way through, the saints of God have suffered from one way or other from the attacks of the adversary, whether it be as a roaring lion or an angel of light or the accuser of the saints. And you got a great antidote here to self-pity. Uh, if anybody could have said, poor me, it was Paul. If he didn't say, I glory in infirmity, the power of Christ rests upon me for Christ's sake. He turns stumbling stones into stepping stones. And uh, the greatest Christian experience is not an exalted state that some claim to have reached and no longer bothered by the devil. Some claim uh, uh, that they don't uh, agonize anymore. But old R.A. Torrey said, those who claim to have reached such a sublime uh, height of faith that they no longer have any agony in prayer and no fight of faith have gotten beyond their Lord and the best Christians who have ever lived in that respect. I don't take much stock in these folks who come along and everything's all right and nothing happens that, uh, that causes them any trouble whatsoever. That's getting a little bit uh, too high for me and too high for uh, most of the saints. Uh, there's a little bit of trouble in there somewhere. Some of the greatest saints have battled with weak faith. Doubt is not unbelief, as Halsby has told us. Uh, you can't help doubts coming along any more than you can help disease germs coming along. But you don't have to open the door and say, come in and make yourself at home. Unbelief is a refusal to believe. Doubt is the anguish and the pain and the weakness which at times affects true faith. Unbelief says, I won't believe. Doubt says, I have weak faith. But Lord, I do believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Nobody ever started in the direction of Jesus Christ before he got somewhere. And the old Alexander White wrote to a dear troubled woman, throw yourself in the general direction of Jesus Christ. I like that. And uh, the father of this demonized boy, now he didn't know much about faith, but he believed that Jesus could do what needed to be done. And he said, Lord, I don't have much faith. Uh, help me with what little I've got, Lord. Uh, but I have a little faith, and I'm going to vote for my faith and not for my unbelief. What are you voting for tonight? You've got both. Do you take your stand with your faith or the thing that you're shaky about? Jesus didn't send him away, and Jesus didn't send Thomas away. Thomas had missed one prayer meeting and was an infidel for a whole week. And he said, I've got to see the signs and the marks before I believe. Don't accept doubt as defeat. I don't have much faith, but I stand with it. And uh, the Lord will understand. He does understand. So if you can't get up to third heaven, and if you're bothered with uh, the fact that you don't have any of these mysterious experiences that you hear some people tell about. I wouldn't worry too much about it. 
I remember there was a time in my life when I soaked most earnestly to get to some quiet, secluded spot. And I've been all over the land and elsewhere. And, uh, I alone in up there in the Blue Ridge or in the Ozarks or out in the West or walking by the Sea of Galilee or on the Mount of Olives or down in the old church of Charleston, some favored spot. And I'd say, now if I can just get over there. And one day I was so anxious to work up some kind of an experience, I got out deep in the woods. And I thought if I can get out here and be still now, maybe I'll see something or feel something or hear something that'll elevate me above the ordinary. The only thing that happened when an old crow came along and lighted up in the tree and worried me to death, cawing at me all the time. I said, that's the devil. Uh, God doesn't want me to have this. <laughs> so uh, my friend... Uh, Pappy Revere just laughed when I used to tell him about that. He said, you've been out on a crow hunting anymore. <laughs> so, I don't take too much stock in that anymore. There is a place for it. Jesus uh, got away from everything once in a while. Come ye yourselves apart and rest a while. We don't get away from it enough today. And every opportunity you have to get quiet and away from the uh, crowd's obnoxious strife today, you do it. But uh, so many people today are so beset. Even missionaries crack up on the field or come home. And uh, preachers are beset. Oh, so many of God's men are uh, attacked so besetting in one way or another. And some of them say, why, why can't I be like the great saints of the past? Well, which ones are you talking about? They had trouble too. How about Moses, almost ready to quit? Poor old David down so low he had to look up to see bottom sometimes. My, my, if you want to read a fellow down in the dumps, read some of the Psalms. But God brought him through. And how about Jeremiah? Wilt thou be unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Now that's pretty straight praying. And that's a strange thing. I know it says in the, uh, as a, a brook whose waters fail. But that's the sense of it anyhow. And... Uh, Paul said, I've been bothered about hearing from this place over here without were fightings within were fears. And Elijah, after he stood on Carmel, that giant of God, then Jezebel got after him and scared him nearly to death. The man who could stand and threaten all heathenism, let one mean woman drive him clear over there in the solitudes, and he got under that juniper tree, said, Lord, all the good folks are gone but me, and I'm not feeling so well myself. We are weak, poor mortals. And the way out's not just by finding some strange experience sometime. There was old Jonah under another tree saying, Lord, let me die. So it goes. And the Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, whether it was his gout that he had and they didn't know how to treat it those days, I don't know what, but he could get mighty, mighty low. Robert Murray McShane, who lived almost all his life, and it wasn't a long life, died at 37 after only 13 years in the ministry, and he's known today uh, as one of the greatest preachers of all time, but almost always in despondency. And Robertson of Brighton, uh, passed through such periods as that. And you say, but Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Yes. And the same Lord said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? He said it. Of course, he was facing the greatest issue of all time. But he answered it like you'd better answer it when you're troubled and you don't know what to say. Now is my soul troubled. 
What ought I to do what he did? What did he say next? Father, glorify thy name. That's the way out. And if you if you get in deep trouble, say, Lord, don't understand it, but out of this, help me to glorify thy name. And you don't need a trip to third heaven to take care of it, or a trip to heaven or a visit to hell and come back and tell about it. That won't do. Don't worry. We waste too much time on things that don't matter much anyhow. A lot of the saints spend so much good time just fighting something that doesn't matter much about it anyway. Uh, a bulldog can whip a skunk any time, but it's not worth it. <laughs> it rubs off. It'll rub off. I get mad at things sometimes in the old Adam, and I feel like saying something about it that they got no business in. I say, I'm not going to let that thing rub off on me now. Because it's just like a fellow going around uh, swatting mosquitoes with a sledgehammer. That's not the thing to fight mosquitoes with. You bust out all the window panes on the place and the furniture and everything else. Go at it with something suited to, to it. Go wear yourself out on ridiculous things like that. But as I make my way through, I have beside my bed where I sit first thing in the morning. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that always, having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound to every good work. I don't get up feeling like singing hallelujah every morning just between you and me. Uh, I'd like you to think I'm a perfect saint, but I'm not. I get up feeling like the last rose of summer in a hailstorm some morning. But I'm not going by that. I said, Lord, help me to be true to thee, feel like it or not. I'm not living in my feelings. I'd have an awful time if I did. Now, always enough of everything you need to do all God wants you to do. Well, what, what more do you want? I've been now 41 years on the road and don't know what my next week's pay is going to be. Never owed but $200 in my life. And uh, God's taking care of me. If, if you can't trust God and God's people, you ought to be a preacher anyhow. Of course, sometimes the Lord's people, you know, somebody asked old Sam Jones, said, how do you manage it about the money? Well, he said, and I started out, I said, I, I always leave that at the brethren. said, I did when I left the brethren, still had it. <laughs> But uh, I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. I've been provided for pretty well. And one that does my soul more good than this is, uh, it's a new one I've got hanging up on another. You think that room of mine is covered over with signs, but not exactly. But it's Psalm um, 138.8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Sometimes I, I feel like saying, well, Lord, how are we doing? I don't see things working out like I thought. And I said, that's what he said. The Lord will, he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it. I believe that with all my soul. I want to leave you with this before we go. It's uh, sort of an illustration of all the rest of it. You know about, uh, you know about King Uzziah and what a wonderful king he was in Second Chronicles 26. My, he... He had more new moves in every direction. It says here in this 26th chapter that he was 16 when he became king, reigned 52 years, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, sought God in the days of Zechariah. He warred against the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines. And he built towers in Jerusalem, and he built towers in the desert, and digged many wells. 
improvement. Everything got better under his administration. And he had a host of fighting men. He even invented some kind of instruments for uh, shooting arrows and great stones. He was sort of an inventor in verse 15. And after all of that, good man that he was, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Not when he was weak. Paul was uh, strong when he was uh, weak, but this fellow was weak when he was strong. And he... uh, got too proud and tried to offer incense himself and God struck him with leprosy and he died in disgrace. And the whole country said, my soul, if the good king Uzziah can go like that, what hope is there for the rest of us? We'll never make it. Look what he's done for the country. There's been improvement economically, militarily, and in every direction. And now he's a leprosy and died in disgrace. Lord, this is the year of the minus. We, we've suffered the greatest loss of all time. National calamity, everybody overwhelmed. It was the year of the minus, but with Isaiah, it was the year of the plus. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also, that's a plus, the Lord. Ask God to make your year of the minus a year with a plus in it when you see the Lord. And sometimes you see the Lord best in the year of the minus. Uh, Uzziah's gone, but God's still on the throne. And it was back in 1973 that I, I, that year, I started out by, uh, I was hungry for a deeper experience. We preachers talk to everybody else and neglect ourselves. And uh, I, I got to the place where I found myself praying, Lord, uh, at any cost, bring me to where I can quit lying about it when I sing it and Tell the truth, once earthly joy I crave, so peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. Oh, that's easy to sing and hard to get around to in your experience. And you know, that's the year that the Lord took the most precious thing that I had in my life. My dear wife and I, had. it took us a long time to meet, and we had 33 years only together, and then he took her. And I said, Lord, what does this mean? We'd had such a wonderful time the year before. Everything was just getting better and better. We had moved into a lovely apartment. We'd bought the first and the new car, and we'd had our trip over to Europe and Israel, and everything was great, and I was just looking forward to 73. Lord, at any cost, <laughs> you better not put that in. Lord will take you up on it. Bring me to where what I want you. And you haven't lost the other. I haven't lost her. People say, too bad about you losing your wife. I haven't lost her. Know where she is. You haven't lost anything when you know where it is. But I had to learn this. And it seems like sometimes God's slow to come to our relief. Careless seems the great avenger. You know, uh, Walter Cronkite one preacher used to say every time he goes off saying, that's the way it is. said, I always say, no, Walter, that's just the way it looks. And that's right. Uh, because uh, Walter, a great man that he was, in many respects, he didn't know what it always meant. But I think of that woman, that poor woman that went to the judge and said, avenge me of my adversary. 
And God did. And James Russell Lowe wrote one of the greatest